And now, from the dry hills of Santa Clarita, California, it's time for America's least listened to podcast. It's Christianese with your blessing-filled hosts, Jared Burkholder, Dan Satchoff, and Brian Irwin. And those magical organ sounds, once again, that's uh, Barb Stout on the organ, Barb. Thank on the you. Hammond B3. The Hammond. She is, she is just, she's getting better and better. And the little foxtrot thing that's creeping in there now is so, is so great. It's, it's addicting. She, Barb's like fine wine. The older she gets, the better she gets on the organ. It just blows my mind. Yeah. If we could just get her on a diet. Right. Be fantastic. Those cankles, Barb, lay off the salt. Uh, hey guys, it's Christianese. Uh, welcome. Welcome to Jared Burkholder. Hey Dan, I want to welcome you as well. Well, let me welcome you first. Thank you for being, I want to receive your welcome and then I want to reciprocate. Okay, great. Let me take that welcome. Welcome you. Bring it back over here and toss it back. You know, Dan, when you were praying the other day, you echoed something someone said, and I wanted to echo your echo (laughs) and just say how thankful I am for that (laughs) echo. Fantastic. Hey, we got a special episode today. We are joined. We, can you believe it? We've actually had some guests recently. Instead it's of phenomenal. just you and me just trying and to me pretend like we know we're Mike. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we are joined today by a guy who I came across uh, on the interwebs, as it were, but also somebody who I have known as, as an actor, uh, familiar with his work, Nicholas D'Augusto. Uh, many, many credits. Uh, Trial and Error, most recently on NBC, which was a phenomenal show. Wish it was still on because it was it was fantastic. Gotham, Masters of Sex. Uh, he he's done tons of things. He got a really interesting story, and now he's hosting a podcast called God and Other Delicacies. Mm. That uh, a, a buddy of mine on Instagram was like randomly, "Hey, go check this out." I did, and it was fascinating. And so we are pleased to welcome to Christianese, Nicholas D'Augusto. Nicholas, thank you so much for being with us, man. Thank you. Hey, thank you so much. Thank you for the lovely introduction. So, Absolutely. so, man, first of all, the the two things. Um, my kids know you from when I always run things past them. I'm like, yeah, I'm doing a podcast today. I was like, oh, yeah, who's going to be on? Um and they realized, oh my gosh, you're talking to Hunter from The Office, Jan's yes, assistant? Right. <laughs> it's amazing to me that that one, I mean, it's not amazing in that The Office is like the most successful show I've ever been a part of, but I was such a small part of that show that, I mean, I think I was on set a total of maybe three half days, but, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, the show is, is in su- it's now such a part of the cultural fabric that like so many people can recite uh, what happens in every episode. And so I have become, I occupy one part of this universe <laughs> that's really loved. And so I'm always surprised that people love it. And I'll tell you, can I tell you my, the, I, I suppose it's like disappointing for some, uh, but um, Hunter uh, sings a song in the, in the show later. Jan, yes. Jan plays one of his songs. And I, I, I can, I, I like to, to give this out there so the people on the, uh, are in the know. I did not sing the song. <laughs> Nicholas, can I tell you though, <laughs> this morning when I came into work, I, I mentioned that you were coming on the show and immediately my friend started singing that song. Immediately. Ah, there you go. It was just all cut up already. <laughs> Which is hilarious. And you know what's amazing about this, Nicholas, is that, I mean, you've seen the business changes I have uh, over the years. Like, it used to be like, if, if I was in something and you would immediately know whether people are watching it or not, because that night you would get a phone call or whatever, you'd hear stuff or you'd somebody you'd see. And now, like, because people are watching it different places, like The Office is one of those shows. For me, I missed it first run for whatever mm. reason. I think yep. my kids were little at the time. I'd missed it. Totally. Now, 
now my kids have found this and I have discovered it and realized how brilliant it is. But first time, I mean, what? I was 10 years late to the party. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I had, uh, you know, when I was on trial and error, I was, it's on the network. So, you know, you're still, even today, networks are still desperate to have live viewers and many right. shows live, live and die by a live viewership, even though that's, it's already so quickly becoming antiquated to right. register things that way. Right. They still, that they don't have many other, you know, the, the functionality of their money making is still that money has to come in and be seen live. Right. And, uh, so, you know, I would tell people, can you watch trial and error? And they're like, you know, listen, man, I'm in the middle of the crown and it's like, maybe I can, I'm like, but this is my show. And they're like, I'm pretty sure I can start it in, like tw- I see some room opening up in the fall of 2020, uh, oh. and, and it's just like, all right, I guess this is going to be short-lived. Isn't, isn't I just started a great new show called Frasier. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have heard of it, but I'm really excited. Yeah, right, I'm no. catching up. Yeah. yeah, there's a that's a hot young actor is the lead in that one. <laughs> yeah, coming up. Yeah, so excited for his career. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, anyway, and, and in addition to that, uh, that randomness, I, I have to tell you the fact that your family owns. So many Arby's in, in Nebraska. <laughs> yeah, this is another one that's just like such a, an important part of my idiosyncratic background, yeah. dude. And I know I watched an interview with you with Sam, uh, what's his name at KTLA there, and I was like, oh dang it, he took what I wanted to talk about. But it's just Jared and I. That's one of our favorite places. We it, it just and I grew up there. I grew up in Colorado, and so Arby's for me was just like a magical place. And I'll never forget the time my dad bet me that I couldn't eat fifteen regulars oh, in geez. one sitting. Wow! Oh and if I did, he would give me 50 bucks and pay for them if i couldn't i had to pay for the sandwiches and nicholas i gladly i'm such a glutton i ate 15 regulars wow yeah that's incredible that's an extraordinary feat followed by jamoka shake i'm just honored to be speaking to you now (laughs) i'm glad that you're alive yeah me too well the coronary will set in in a couple years have you checked your colon recently yeah one of those intact in there that's why i wear a diaper um well it was i tell you i worked at arby's for seven years and uh, my brother's well, my brother Andy is taking over the business. My dad is—it's been a part of our lives forever, man. I mean, we have Arby's, Arby's images and logos all over the home. It's been a part of my life. It's been a part of the fabric of my life in a way that's as much a fabric, frankly, as uh, growing up with God was. If you, you know, um, so there's your there's a transition, guys. Look great. at that. You just cued us right up. So, man. Nicholas, please do tell us about uh, about your background, about your faith background, both as a child and then even uh, as an adult. Yeah, so I grew up Roman Catholic. Uh, my my parents are very devout. Um, my mother grew up Lutheran, but converted to Catholicism when she married my father. They're both uh, really generous, um, loving, devout, uh, faithful people. They've spent a lot of, much of my upbringing was centered around a phrase uh, like to those who've been given much, much is expected, uh, was something that I really grew up with. My father lives by that. And I think he's really exemplified that for me in a lot of ways. Um, so I have a, nothing but affection for the way I was, uh, taught, um, you know, this, these lessons and, and my father lives it and my father and mother live it very truthfully. Uh, I went to all, uh, I went to all of my education was in private Catholic schooling. I went to, mm-hmm kindergarten through eighth through a co-ed Catholic school and then Jesuit high school, all male Jesuit high school in Omaha, Nebraska. And then I went to a Jesuit college, Marquette university. So I was always surrounded by religion and, and often being taught by priests. Uh, I, uh, 
I, you know, then you in college, even you have requirements to take theology as a part. When you go to a Catholic school, you are required to take a couple of courses in theology. So I still kept that. And then I, I and so I um, was very much, and I was very devout as a child. In fact, you know, I, in the first grade, uh, they, I, I still have it today. They, you know, they did this thing where we were like, water, have the kids watercolor on a white t-shirt what they want to be when they grow up, you know, and some people are like, they want to be an astronaut and some people want to be a teacher. And I painted a priest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when I was young, I had a very strong um, affinity and connection. Uh, I, I, I have to say, in retrospect, I might have also just wanted to be on stage in front of a lot of people. So <laughs> yeah. uh, it's possible that I was just drawn to the being up front, the point of view. But I yeah. certainly, I've always, I don't want to undercut it too much. I, I've always had a strong um, sense of my, uh, of what I would now call a very strong emotional connection to the world uh, at large. Um, I think for a long time, I articulated that as a love of, God, specifically the Christian God I was raised with, but I, I have a strong resonance. Like it's not hard for me to feel an emotional resonance with the world. I feel that a lot. I think, I think people, I find that people that are quite faithful in my life, they tend to feel that, you know, you see a beautiful sunset and you feel like a beauty and you can feel a resonance of God or something. And I think that for me, I've, as, as you can tell that I'm alluding to, I've started to extrapolate some of these feelings away from some of the, the ways that I would have articulated this stuff as a young man. But I, um, so, I mean, listen, guys, I, I can just keep telling you my story without you having to ask a question. So you, you have to Do understand, it. I, yeah. Do it. Know, this I can is, keep this kind of rolling stuff. down this road. Um, so in college, I uh, start to kind of, have some doubts about, you know, what I really believe or what, you know, I start to have my first concerns about, oh, I'm not sure I really like what's going on here. I'm not sure I really believe this anymore. It kind of starts with like discovering evolution uh, and, and starting to kind of go, okay, well, so the, just the first things, right? Like if God, you know, made the world, you know, in seven days and Adam and Eve and stuff and what's evolution. And then, you know, there are lots of, lots of different Christians have lots of different or theologians have lots of different perspectives on these arguments. Um, but I started to entertain that world. And then I would go, I would toggle back and forth. I would try to kind of invest more in my faith. I'd try to not do it. I just suffer guilt for not doing it. And then, I uh, traveled to, I spent a semester abroad in the, in the Dominican Republic in, in a um, social work oriented semester. So I was living in uh, the compost and working with um, very, very poor people and learning about, uh, learning about the world essentially and um, studying things like liberation theology. I don't know if you guys are familiar Absolutely. with liberation yep. theology, but yep. um so, you know, I started kind of attaching myself to, okay, well, you know, Jesus, again, and these are, of course, my beliefs as I'm living them, I'm starting to doubt Jesus as the son of God in a kind of historical context. I, I also, by the way, I should tell you, I'm both a theater and a history major. I have two bachelor's degrees. Mm-hmm. And so I, history is something I love quite a bit. And my love of history started 
you know, is also a part of how Jesus' prominence as a, as a, as a God-like figure started to lose that essence for me. But, um, I, I was doing the liberation theology as a way of trying to kind of embrace Jesus as a revolutionary, as a social revolutionary. Um, that was stuff I started to kind of get behind. And then, and then I moved out to LA and I was able to kind of not be in the structures I'd been in for the first time in my life. And I was able to just kind of start pursuing my career. And I felt more free to just kind of read. I started reading a lot more, you know, and talking to dear friends of mine, I had very dear friends of mine, um, very, very smart people I, I care a lot about. And they all come from different perspectives. One has a doctorate in philosophy from Stanford and one has a doctorate in machine biology. And so I'm learning, you know, we're all kind of talking about things from scientific perspectives or philosophical perspectives. And mm-hmm. I get, a, I get a lot from them. And as the years go on, I, so look, I, you know, life is long. I can talk forever about my own life. I <laughs> like my life quite a bit. Sure. Uh, I tend, I tend to be very interested in myself. <laughs> yeah. um, go figure. I, Me too, man. Me too. <laughs> so, I would say that at the risk of saying, uh, maybe I, I'm skipping over certain things, but I, when I got married, it was the first, so look, I, you know, there's tension, right? With my parents as I sure. start to express that maybe I'm not going a different way. And my parents are so loving and supportive, but, but uh, beliefs are so delicate and the discussion can be so dangerous. Yep. Uh, it can be, people can have their feelings hurt. Absolutely. Uh, and you don't want to hurt the feelings of the people that you love. And so, um, but when I got engaged, it became clear to me that I didn't want to be married in the church. And I didn't want, um, I didn't want to say, I didn't believe those things. I couldn't kind of hide. Essentially, I kind of couldn't hide. I wasn't necessarily hiding what I was believing, but mm-hmm. I, I didn't, I had to kind of stand up and profess it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And so I, I, in order to do that, I finally engaged in something that I hadn't really done, truly, truly done, which is that I had never really started, I, I had always left some of the information about, for instance, the formation of the world, the scientific views of the formation of the world, what I believe is true. But again, somebody else that is listening might not believe these things. And so I, I very much fell in love and have fallen in love with the chronology of, of recorded history, what scientists have learned, anthropologists have learned over the years. And I finally opened up some books like Introduction to atheism. What is that? You know, atheism is, is a word that was like synonymous with the devil when I was being raised. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and that it was time for me to start kind of cracking the mystique, you know, sort of shattering the mystique and the fear of some of these things that had kind of latently held their power still in my mind. Mm -hmm. And so I started, um, really researching. I started reading about atheism. I started reading, about um, evolution in a deep way, like really 
putting in context, okay, when was the universe formed? What's our best theories of the universe formed 14.8 billion years ago and the earth 4.5 billion years ago and humans 2 million years and, you know, homo sapiens, you know, humans 2 million years ago, but homo sapiens 200,000 years ago. So it's like trying the my logical historical brain finally allowed the world, I finally allowed myself to put everything in a historical context. And in doing so, I fell in love with the evolution of not only humanity, but the evolution of human thought and what human thought means and what it means to have extraordinary people help push thought forward in a chronological context. And so that's where I file Jesus now. I file him in a, in a, an extraordinary historical point, but in the way that there are many around. And of course, now I'm starting to dip my toes into things that will be potentially argumentative or disrupting to other people. But yeah, that's, all right, know, though. I th- that's fine. You know, that this is kind of, you know, where I live now on a, on a general sense. And I, and I'm very much, you know, not to, not, again, not to mention even just the, the trouble I've had with um, the structural of the structure of the church and things like that. Of course, there's, where no one has to, to be reminded about many of the hypocrisies that people inside the, the different organized religions have, you know, um, espoused, you know, that, or they've been portrayed as people that are speech, speak one thing and then, and then are, are, are revealed to be living a different thing. So that's a separate thing aside from, from the actual philosophical side. And I think, you know, maybe that's a good point for me to let you guys talk. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is this is all really, really good, and it's fascinating. What's interesting to me, and this is what one of the things that Jared and I were interested about your story, because as we talk to people, look, everybody brings something to the table um, that, that forms who they are, who they become. And I, like I look at your story, and then I look at Jared's story, like Jared was raised. Now you weren't raised in the church, but you were raised in a strong faith and in a household like that. And Jared was raised in the church as a missionary kid from Mexico. And what interests me is looking at people and being like, okay, what? So Jared is 33. So after 33 years, your your faith is actually strengthened in in who Jesus was as you know what what biblical what scripture claims he is. And then Nicholas, you're you've had the opposite. I'm interested, okay, what What's what's different uh, in those in those paths? You know what I mean, Jerry? Yeah, Nicholas, I'm curious. Uh, I know it's an incremental kind of thing. What you just described is a journey of of many years. But as you kind of think back, is it possible to distill down one um, one large factor that kind of led you to walk away from Catholicism uh, and from Christianity writ large? Was it is it an intellectual kind of thing? Is it an existential issue? Uh, as you kind of alluded to, is it um, some of the hypocrisy that, that's visible in the church? Is it a, a personal interaction? I, I know it's hard to to summarize, you know, many many years, yeah, even decades. It's a little, yeah, yeah. No, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I, 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 um, I, you know, I listen. Everything you mentioned is a part of it. You know, it's very, you know, spirituality is such a fabric of your being. Sometimes it's working you in ways that you don't even you're not even aware of, and so. I can, I can put highlights, uh, you know, I can put highlights on it. I would say, you know, some of the things I mentioned, like, um, the minute that I finally decided to, to really put the world in a historical context, 
so that I wasn't, I mean, I was raised with thoughts like the world was probably better when Jesus was alive. Mm. You know what mm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Do you guys, mm-hmm. do you, I mean, I'd be curious to know if you guys believe that. Do you think that you were raised to believe or you believe now that the world was probably better when Jesus was alive? That wasn't because a thing. Jesus, no, that wasn't a thing for me. I, I wasn't raised in the church. Like I didn't really, I always identified <clears> as a Christian, but I didn't know what that meant. I didn't understand my faith until I was in my thirties. Um, so like I was not, now Jared's a different story. He was raised in the church, but like from my perspective now and like what I teach my kids and is that from my perspective, biblical uh, Christianity would dictate that we're all broken and we, we live in a, we live in a broken world and that at the time Jesus around Christ came for, for the people who were broken in a broken world and that you know, it's easy in a context to say, ah, life was better in the 50s, man. Everything was great. No, the, the sin was just pushed down and covered over a lot better. Um, mm. I, I, I think, I mean, for me, no, that that wouldn't be how I would think, because I think the world, since, since the fall, I mean, if I, I, I'm going from a biblical standpoint, but since the fall, the world is broken, and that uh, that's, the, that's the beautiful thing about Messiah, is that someday all these things will be made right. You know what yeah, I mean? and it's interesting to think about, you know, uh, I get your, I think I understand your question, Nicholas, but uh, it really goes to what kind of metrics are we overlaying over the world to determine when it was better? I, I don't know that I grew up, uh, in fact, I don't think I did grow up thinking that the world was better when uh, when Christ was around. Certainly there was that time when he walked on earth when it was truly, uh, I mean, if, if you take the, the biblical narrative as as truth, then it was God incarnate who, who walked among mankind. It was the long-awaited uh, Messiah who had been promised for thousands of years and had shown up. It was the initiation of God's plan, uh, or really the culmination of God's plan of redemption. It was the initiation of, of God ushering his kingdom under earth. So there's a sense in which those those years were momentous because they were the culmination of a biblical revealed history, kind of a redemptive history. Um, but, you know, I, I think you can look at other things that were going on just historically in the world and recognize that slavery was was well accepted and misogyny was something that was practiced. And so no, I, I wouldn't necessarily look at the world in biblical times and go, that was, man, we got to get back to that. Just as I, I disagree with a lot of uh, white conservative evangelicals who see, as you mentioned, Dan, like the 1950s being the pinnacle of, uh, you know, if we can just get back to, <laughs> if we can just get back to when, you know, America was a Christian country. I don't think America was ever a Christian country, right? And so right, I, I, right. I don't want to go back to some kind of mythical period that didn't actually exist. Right. Um, yeah. I, I grew up in Mexico. Um, I was there for, for many years. My parents worked in a, in a neighborhood there. I'm now a, a missions pastor here, so I get to travel uh, and just be involved with uh, some, some really cool relief and also church planning efforts around the world. Um, and so, again, I, I think it, it depends kind of what metric we would look at. So if you stop the average person in, in Los Angeles or on the East Coast in the United States, they're going to have a very different perspective about where the world, at, uh, world is at than somebody who might talk to in, in Haiti. Uh, or uh, a refugee that you might meet in, in the island of Lesvos in Greece who's, who's come across from Turkey or somebody you might talk to in Jordan. Um, so I, yeah. I think it's very important that whatever worldview we would, we would come at um, individually, it can account for the, the entire world. And that's one of the things that, that I'm always concerned about is does my worldview make sense, not just in Santa Clarita, California, where I live, but does my worldview make sense if I were a Haitian, if I were an African, if I lived in Latin America, if I lived in parts of Asia? Um, because if something's true, it's not just true for me, it's true universally. And so sometimes I think we get a little contextualized in how we think about uh, how we think about the world and we, we develop a worldview maybe that fits our context but wouldn't fit someone else's context. 
And so coming from, and you might not agree with this, but coming from uh, an absolute truth kind of standpoint, if something is absolutely true, then it has to be true in every context and it has to make sense in every context. I don't know if that makes sense to you. Well, it does. I, I think it's one of the things I struggle with. Uh, I, I would say that I, or I, you know, not just struggle, I'd probably say I disagree, but it, I, it, I guess my question is what is absolute truth? You know, what, how do you determine absolute truth? Yeah, I mean, as a Bible-believing Christian, I, I think, um, you know, as, as you were raised to believe, I think uh, that, that God has spoken, that God intends not to leave people in the dark. And even beyond the question of absolute truth is the question of existence of God, right? If God exists, um, then we would assume that he had some kind of communication. And if God exists as he's portrayed in the Bible, then he's spoken through his word. And so we have a standard for what, for what absolute truth is. Um, yeah. If I can put it back on you, do you believe in absolute truth? And if so, where do you think, or how do you adjudicate what's true and what's not true? Yeah, I, I love this conversation, by the way. I I, uh, I, I appreciate your thoughts. I don't. I want to make sure I'm being clear that I don't want to come across as, again, as we want to be clear, so we don't want to be combative. Oh, absolutely. Um, no. and, and again, <laughs> just to reiterate, uh, we love having this conversation because <laughs> for so many Christians, they they read about these kind of conversations. Sure. <laughs> they've, they've heard about mm -hmm. them, but they never actually had a chance to talk to them. So uh, please don't take my pushback as, as me being combative. I just, I'm, I'm eager to hear kind of your response to what we yeah, think. Yeah, this is great. And that's that's the genesis of our, our show too, is that we want, you know, in these incredibly polarized times, as you know, Nicholas, it's, it's increasingly impossible to have conversations where you can agree to disagree and part friends. And that's what right. we want to have with this, because honestly, it helps all sides to hear people out and, and not demonize motives, but just say, look, this is what I think. Here's why I think. What do you think about that? And, you know, you can do that and, and still be friends. And one more comment about that. The genesis of, of this podcast was actually... Uh, we have a friend who's uh, an agnostic and occasionally an atheist, um, and we were just having a benevolent conversation it's easy with him. To toggle back and forth. Right. Those exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we were just having a really wonderful conversation about worldview with him one time, and thought, you know, this seems so rare, uh, just in general, but especially so rare in our culture and climate right now. Um, so, all that to say, this is exactly the kind of conversation we have. So, anyway, t tell me your perspective on on truth. Yeah, I think um, I guess my my thought is is that I don't believe in an absolute truth, and that. I, I find it hard to understand how we would determine absolute truth. So if we say that the absolute truth is of the Bible, then, you know, what happens is, is then and that's exclusive, right? That if other people aren't following the Bible, then they're not living a true life or a life in accordance with the truth. And so we have, even if we want to say as modern Christians, we've evolved, the religion to be, for the most part, I would say, I many of the experiences I've had have been Christians who are lovely, welcoming, open, social work-oriented people. Certainly there are people that are not that way, but inherently in that belief, and I imagine you would agree with this, I, you'll have to tell me if you don't, but there is a feeling that if someone does not believe in the Bible, or does not believe in Jesus's prominence, then, then they do not understand absolute truth. And then they are either living in sin or living a lie or living in the dark, however you want to sort of describe that stuff. And to me, that, that is, um, in, it, it's backwards to, to, uh, to the way that I believe that thought evolved, that I believe that, um, that history or has, has revealed the evolution of, of thought. So like one of the things that I found really extraordinary in my research was there's this thing called the axial age, which is a time period in 
like 500 BC to, you know, around the turn of the century where, where because of, because of the nature of civilization growing and cities growing all across the world, um, that you have formations of religions all within a few centuries of each other. So you have Hindu and you have Buddhist and you have Judaism and you have then the offshoot of Christianity and you have, you have these things happening kind of without, without real deep, you know, inter cultural exchange because it was very difficult to travel at that time. Sometimes people could travel and, you know, you would make it across the, these worlds uh, over years, but you have these very, so what's happening is, is that religion and, and rituals are forming alongside the need to have this as they, as humans are experiencing the need to express their spirituality and ritualize their spirituality in the context of their particular spiritual, their particular civilizations. And so this is why we have such extraordinarily beautiful and dense and deep cultural, religious, religio-cultural traditions in all these different places. So it is not for me, I'm not, you know, I would never say that the Bible does not express a human truth. It expresses absolutely the truth of, of humans in that religio-cultural context as they believe God was revealed to them. But there are also beautiful religio-cultural truths revealed in other, in other contexts, in other, in other civilizations. And, and those express also what I believe to be an, an equivalent human truth. And then fast forward to today, and we have the beauty of having access to all of this information and being able to synthesize history and religious thought and um, universe theories of the universe and expansion of how large our our world and universe truly is, and we get to we get to explore what all the edges of thought are today. And so when when I think about things like absolute truth, I don't believe in them because I feel like the truth of today is the truest truth we've ever had. And the truth of tomorrow will also be the truest truth in the sense that we are learning more and more. We are constantly exploring um, as a species, our world. And, and, uh, and so to me, I find a lot of hope in that. I, I'm optimistic in that sense. I found that I found personally a, quite a lot of negativity in, in this idea that I would find phrases like, Ah, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, or you know what? This is a sign that the end games are coming. You know, God. You know, there's this sort of sense that with every new tragedy, the world is coming to an end. Maybe uh, some people believe this. I don't. I don't want to assume that you do, but sure, sure. some people believe that the world is coming to an end, and so then God must be coming. Well, you know, civilization, religious cultures have been believing that for thousands of years. But I, I believe that although, of course, there are horrible dangers in the world. Um, part of the challenge of that is that we just know so much more about it now. And, you know, if something happens in Africa right now, we hear about it four seconds from now. But, um, you know, I, I have a sense of optimism. You know, I, it's not that I was I'm, just about to ask that. I was about to ask yeah. if you feel, you know, as you look around the world, and you kind of alluded that to the question you asked, do we think that, you know, that the world was a better place when Jesus was here as opposed to now? So do you feel... Mm. Um, 
don't want a chance to interact with this, but I'll ask you quickly. Do you feel, as you look around the world, uh, a sense of optimism, uh, both about the the kind of knowledge that um, that is that is being compiled, but also the access that's available to that knowledge? Hold on. The access that that's available sense? to that knowledge. Uh, well, I need you to talk about what you mean by the access that's available. I guess what I'm saying knowledge. is, uh, you know, we have some friends who work in a tribe in Papua New Guinea. They have to fly in to be there. But even people in that tribe have cell phones. They have smartphones. And so they have access mm. to, um, they have the access to the same information that I have in, in California, right? So mm -hmm. do you, uh, is your optimism, I'll ask another way, is your optimism driven by uh, the kind of information and knowledge that humans have and the widespread access to that? And if not, what would kind of be the foundation of what causes you to look at the world in 2020 now optimistically? Yeah, I mean, so that's a good question. It, uh, it, it, it to me feels like it bends a little outside of the God context specifically, and that's okay. I, I will say that one thing I, I, this, I'm going to tie this in in kind of a long way. But one thing that I, I think about, and again, I tend to look at things in a historical context. That's just my preference. But mm -hmm. I, so something that I, I think is fascinating is that democracy is older than Christianity. Democracy, the first democracy happens in Athens in like 650 BC to 500 BCE. And, and democracy doesn't really exist in, in, a, form, in a recognizable form for another 2,500 years, you know, it's like, it's like, it's not until we start having, uh, you know, the American revolution and the French revolution that we start actually like the Renaissance helps bring back this freedom of thought, right? This idea that, that dominating dictatorships aren't forcing a, like, like things like the inquisition, right? The Spanish inquisition and all right. these types of things that are happening all over the world, which is a horrible, horrible dark spot in human history. Right. And, so we are living in a golden age of humanity, and this is what I believe. We are living in some of the best times that have ever been uh, because of we live in a time where there's only been so little time in the world where there's been democracies. And, and, and I do believe that democracies are under threat. So when I think about the world, I don't think about it so much from a God perspective. I think about it that I'm afraid of what it would be like if the, the the structural points, the pillars of our democracy are weakened. Mm. And so, you know, to be clear, and this is also very challenging maybe for some of your listeners, or this is where people will not like what I'm saying. And I, of course, <laughs> get, I get, I get nervous about this uh, because I don't like hurting people's feelings, but I'm old enough now to accept that I'm going to do All that. All our sometimes. listeners have such thick skin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be absolutely fine. <laughs> well, I fun. don't. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I'm an actor. I'm very easily <laughs> Exactly. Um, oh. but, I, but I am nearly 40, and I am oh old enough gosh, to have... Oh, my gosh. What an old have, man. Holy yeah, well, smokes. I've, I've put on a little bit of uh, thicker skin over the years. What I'm going to say is, is that I believe very much in a separation of church and state. And so one of the things that I find is, is challenging for what my belief system is, is that the more we associate religion with the actual politics of our democracy, the less I feel democratic we become. That's something that other people will disagree with, but I, I feel that his, history proves that. And those are things that I, I'm, I find are very dangerous. Um, 
a lot of the things like poverty and, and murder and stuff, you know, these are actually the least murderous, the least murderous times that, that humanity has suffered relatively because we've been able to stem off world wars. Uh, we've had many threats of world wars over the last, you know, 60 years. Sure. And we've been able to kind of stave those off. It's not that we, people have horrible atrocities aren't occurring. I don't want to underplay that. Oh, but sure, if you look sure, at, sure. If you look at like the amount of death by war and atrocity that have happened over, you think about the Middle Ages, there's the Crusades. I mean, we were throwing yeah. children <laughs> at people. No, I get and, I, You I know think, what I'm saying? Yeah, so no, I do. And I think too, but going if, there. I, no, I see where you're going, but I think also it depends on how you qualify it. So if you're qualifying it just by wars, but you look in the 20th century alone, like look at the gulags, you know, and how many, how many sure. millions sure. of people have been killed just in the 20th century by, and I, I don't even look at it geopolitically. I look at it as, 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 I guess you accept whether it, man is basically evil or man is basically good. And even though, I, see, I wouldn't measure it by wars. I would measure it by I think that's look a at great point look there. at the Uyghurs right now in China. Point. They're 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 they have gulags basically set up in China that are killing Muslim Uyghurs yeah. left and right. Absolutely. And and we're not at war, yeah. but there's people who are being. You know what I mean? So I guess it just yeah. And I think that's why I was asking the question I, I asked. And again, if I I don't want to misrepresent you at all, so just shut me down if I do. Um, I think um, there's definitely a perspective. So. Uh, Again, more context that you're not asking for. I'm a foster parent. Uh, my wife's a teacher. So we go to these trainings and, and we hear people from a very different worldview kind of talk about the world and parenting and education and things like that. And I, I'm always really intrigued by that perspective because there is this relentless optimism about uh, where our world is at and the, the, the opportunities that our growing pool of knowledge uh, affords us. And I guess I, and I don't, you're, you're speaking, uh, you know, historically and over decades and, and even millennia on some level. And so I don't want to <laughs> atomize this and talk anecdotally. Um, but I just but, don't see but that. Feel free to, uh, I, you know, I, <laughs> well, you don't, you, but you don't see it. You don't see what? I, I don't see cause for optimism. And again, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think, uh, I'm not a fan of us saying like, well, I polished the rails on a sinking ship. You know, this hell, <laughs> this planet's going to hell. In a <laughs> you know, the end is near. Uh, I'm not, I, I'm not, looking fatalistically that way, um, you know, rooting for the end to come. Um, but I see that as knowledge has grown, I, I don't know that there's been a commensurate increase in cause for our optimism. Again, depending on where you live in the world, if you're in certain places, then yeah, you can look around and go, man, this is great. There's, there's a lot of the things that have plagued the world for thousands of years uh, that no longer plague this particular context, but you have only to get on a jet for 10 hours and go to a place where that's just fundamentally not, not true. true. Um, right. And yeah, I mean, do you mind I, if I? Oh go no, go ahead. Well, I'm, I'm thinking oh, no, no, of I, people that I, I sat with in Jordan who uh, were refugees out of the Middle East, and their experience certainly didn't match that, right? And I don't want to keep bringing up Haiti, but I have some really good friends there, and we've we've done a lot sure, of work well, there. Sure. Well, I, um, I told you I was on the island of Hispaniola with the, the Dominican Republic. Right. I, I lived I lived with Haitians occasionally. Right. Um, so so when I look kind of the, the world at large, and then even the, the people and the things the interactions that I've had, uh, I don't see see great cause from optimism. I see pockets that are that are doing better. Um, but I don't feel like the collective force of education and knowledge is going to be what drives us, what drives these other areas that still need change to do it. And again, like Dan just alluded to, I think it really does come down to, um, do we think that that mankind is fundamentally good and what they're lacking is knowledge? And if we can just get them the information and knowledge that they need, then they can kind of update their worldview and those kind of things can stop. I, I don't see that. And again, you, you can expect that coming from our worldview. I really do believe yeah. in a principle of evil. And so I think knowledge can help. Um, 
there's this old Leslie Nielsen movie I love watching growing up. I think it was called Wrongfully Accused. Yes. And there's this scene yeah. where Ooh. somebody's getting shot and they reach for <laughs> band-aids and they just keep getting shot and they can't put band-aids <laughs> on fast enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, you know, I, I think... What's your answer then? What's your... How do you describe, you know, what, what, how would you preach your answer to if you don't see optimism but you don't want to express negativism? Right. Yeah, how yeah. do you... I'm not advocating for pessimism. Preach? That's true. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think again, it flows out of our, I don't want to sound like a broken record here, but that's all I got. Uh, it flows out of our Christian worldview where, um, well, to back up, uh, we were talking about this with, a another guest last, last episode last week that, uh, GK Chesterton talked about how we saw Christianity as the key that fits the lock. So I, I even take your point that there's a lot of religions in the world that have very similar stories and, and a lot of similarities. So how is it you can make an exclusive claim out of one religion and not another? Um, and as I, as I look at the world, as I understand it, um, um, I really see Christianity as that key that fits the lock, that best explains the reality around me um, in my context and I think in other people's contexts as well. I've grown up outside of just the American context and just the American bubble. Um, so I, I would say that certainly we need, to, we need to get people access to water and access to food. We need to update um, information about how, how women should be treated and uh, we need to eradicate or do the best that we can to eradicate uh, kids who are orphans and slavery and, and all these really important social causes sure. that, that I care about personally and our church cares about. But ultimately, uh, if there is a, an evil principle in mankind, then the, the problem isn't simply one of knowledge. And so the solution can't be one simply of knowledge. If there is such a thing as an evil principle, um, then we need something from an inside out. And I guess that at the risk of being simplistic, that kind of is the message of Christianity, right? There's a lot of worldviews that have an outside in solution that if we can fix some of these circumstantial things, then that'll make a change inside people that will ultimately result in the world being a better place. I think Christianity throws its hands up and says, there's something so evil in all of us. There's, there's an evil principle. There's a sin principle that we actually need an inside out solution. And that's what the gospel of Jesus Christ is about. Not that not that I can do things that will eventually earn me God's favor and enough of us do that, then we can change the world. It's admitting that we need some kind of supernatural work in us um, to transform us so that we can then go about the business of living the way that, that God would want us to. And again, you're going to disagree with that, but that, that I think is uh, my understanding of the Christian worldview. Dan, I'm yeah. Do anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's really interesting. So I uh, have a few thoughts that popped up in there uh, and I'm not, I'm going to try to remember all of them. So I'm going to spread them out right now and see if I can get back to all of them somehow. One is to talk about what inside out means in relation to things like Buddhism or different other faiths that I would interpret from the way you just said that as being inside out. So please hold the thought on that. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other one is that you're, uh, to I totally, I, I really don't want to, uh, I very much agree with you that there's so much horror in the world and people living in ways that are not um, at all uh, healthy or uh, even, you know, people, there's a thing, a concept called extreme poverty. There's a, not a concept, there's a fact called extreme poverty that is, that is issued by um, international <clears throat> organizations that talk about uh, um, people that live under the equivalent of what it would be like to live for, with, if you only had a dollar and 80 cents a day in the United States um, and everything you paid for, from your clothes to your water, to your insurance, to your car payments, you know, all of that stuff. If you could, what, what could you get for a dollar and 80 cents a day? We obviously all know you could get almost nothing. And, um, there are over 740 million people in the world that live on what that equivalent is, uh, in their, in their country. But one fact I want to say is oh, just 10 years ago, that, that number was, uh, like a billion people. 
so there, there are people like, you know, uh, some of them are the most prominent are the Bill and Melinda Gates and things that are attacking this problem of extreme poverty. And, and I work with an organization called The Life You Can Save where, sure. where, where this is, a, this is, this is a, the primary focus is extreme poverty. Sure. And, and the, I bring that up as a way of saying these are examples of why I feel like optimism exists because we have tools for working on this stuff that other people didn't have, we didn't have in previous generations. And, and that is to say that the problems we're seeing today are horrible and they're new in some context of today, but they're not new in the history of the world. I mean, as you mentioned earlier, you know, you're, you're clearly educated about, you know, slavery and the horror, the horrors of the past. Those horrors of humanity have existed for a long time. You would qualify that as an innately evil characteristic or an example of the innately evil aspect of humanity. But mm-hmm. I see, of course, as you're, you were right to assume, I, I see in a slightly different sense in that we can become more civilized is the way I would say. Mm-hmm. And so um, I want to bring it back to you a little bit about the Buddhism. So what, what makes you feel, it makes it, the way you said that makes me feel like you think Christianity offers inside out in a way that no one else does. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I, I would I would say yes. In that we're and again from my from my point of view, I would look at it less as uh, I'm not. I don't think about it as religion or or ritual. I know that 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 came up. I think about it in the person of Jesus Christ. So I, I would think of yes, that's and I know it, a lot of people say that's an exclusive truth claim. How can you how can you make that? But I think everybody, every worldview, every religion has an exclusivity about it, and would say, well, but this is what we think is right, so that's no less exclusive uh, a truth claim. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think if you're making a truth claim, there is an exclusive element to that, right? Sure, and and sure. ones no, that are entirely that's, that's relative right. collapse under their own weight because you end up not believing anything and there's really, right. there's really no leg to stand on. So, I right. mean, even being able to say, I think this is this is right or this is wrong, or even just this is better than this, you're, there's some exclusivity wrapped up in that. Sure. Um, yeah. And I would say it was something, for me, it's something greater than myself, because I also look at it as not just in terms of the natural world. And you're absolutely right. Look, there are there are a million problems. And I think as, I think as Christians, as somebody who's more of a, if you classify yourself now more of a secular humanist standpoint, where we would come together and say, yeah, we, we would love to try to do something and help people. But I think where we what we would say is, like, there's only so much you can do in a lifetime. And ultimately, like, I believe in the, in the supernatural that it, the end of this life will come, this body will die, and then I believe in eternity, and it's like, you know, so then I, I look at I look at something greater than myself, I guess, that exists outside of just this temporal realm that eventually, no matter how much you do to help people, and it's not you don't try to, of course you do, I'm not a fatalist and say, oh, I don't want to do anything to help people, but what's the greater, is there a greater transcendence to something when we come to the end of the line here, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I do you do either of you um, feel, and this is not a loaded question, I'm sure. genuinely just curious, uh, do either of you feel that there is an inherent challenge in trying to say that we should be thinking about ourselves and getting right with God? I think what you mean when you talk about inside is like, you know, make sure that you're right with God, essentially, could be a way of boiling that down, right? Um, make sure that you're in line with what God asks of you as a, as a true believer, um, the kind of human that God wants you to be so that you will reach, you know, you'll be with God in the afterlife. Do you feel like that can distract away from 
doing good works in the present, in the wor- from caring about the world we're actually in right now? Uh, I, I think depending on how people would represent that, there's a, a sense in which people might use that as an excuse to not care. And, and you probably have experienced that. I know I have people in the evangelical community, the Christian community who, you know, as we talked about, if, if the world's going to going to go away, then what's the point of, what's the point of caring about the environment? What's the point about caring about the, the poor? What's the point of making any incremental improvement here? Um, the way I understand the calling of, of the Christian life is there's both an individual and a corporate element to it, right? So as you identified, there's a sense in which uh, before God individually, I was made to be in relationship with God. I was made to experience his fullness. In fact, the fullest expression of humanity comes not in uh, something that I can conjure up on my own. It actually comes by being in relationship with God because that's what I was, I was made to do, right? You're, you're familiar with the, the church father, Augustine, who talks about how God has made us for himself and our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And so Absolutely. I would say that from a biblical standpoint, the fullest expression of humanity is being in relationship and, and finding just contentment and joy and fulfillment uh, in the relationship that we have with the father. But so, so there's that individual component, but then there's also a corporate calling or a communal calling that flows out of that. And I understand that as when King Jesus came to earth, he kind of inaugurated his kingdom on earth. Um, and so what I'm called to do as a follower of Jesus isn't just between me and Jesus. It's not just no. reading my Bible with my cup of coffee and like, no. man, sucks for those poor people that they're dying. Uh, what I'm called okay. to do is to be a kingdom citizen. So the way that I live my life is meant to showcase to the world what my king is like. So if my king is compassionate, then I need to live with compassion. If my king loves me sacrificially, then I need to love other people sacrificially. If my king loves justice and righteousness, then I need to love justice and righteousness. Um, so all the things that are true of my king need to be mean to be true of me as a kingdom citizen. And so I'm called to kind of live, um, not primarily uh, as an American or whatever country that I would find myself. I I belong to, I'm kind of this eternal kingdom, the supernatural kingdom. And I'm meant to show the world how great my king is by the way that I live. And so that's actually, I think, a a stronger calling than, you know, think about your life and like 8.6% of your income and your time uh, towards helping the poor. It's really a, a holistic life encompassing calling so that whatever I would do professionally and whatever my hobbies would be, my ultimate purpose is to show the world how great my king is. And that happens not just in what I say primarily, but in how I live. And part of that foundationally, I think would be additionally uh, the, the, the principle in the biblical principle of the Imago Dei, the, the everyone's made in the image of God. So that would also spur me and does when I think about somebody's hurting somebody who's, you know, that biblical principle of like, that's somebody who's made in the image of God, even if we completely disagree on politics, on gender, on whatever, each person is an image bearer. And that, that motivates me to, to want to, to want to care for somebody who's made in God, God's image. Yeah. Yeah. I think that to circle back and Again, I might not answer your question to a, to a satisfactory level, but in terms of the outside-in principle, I'm not a, a scholar on Buddhism, so I don't want to uh, comment too widely on that. Maybe I'll just clarify by what I mean. Um, the, the ethic of Christianity is not working your way to achieve something. The ethic of Christianity is a recognition that I, I could never do that on my own, and I need God to come rescue me. So the initiator from a Christian worldview is not me, it's God. And so in God's kindness, he pursues people and saves them and transforms them and then brings them back into relationship with themselves so they can experience that fullness and then calls them to live differently. So I think that's what I mean by, by inside out, if that makes sense. Hmm. Well, I mean, it's, you know, I think it's, uh, I mean, clearly you're a preacher. I mean, my Lord, you know, this, you, <laughs> oh, God, I know it. You Mr. Windbag yeah. over here. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, no, no. The stage it's, thing. It's, you got no. me there too. <clears throat> it's, uh, I think it's, um, 
I, I think I can see that what, where you'd be inspiring to your, to your congregation. I, you know, I, I think, you know, when I hear that, you know, my feeling is, uh, I think about how common, how what the through line is, right? I think there's this sense, and I, and I and again, I think this is where, and we might be coming to the end. You know, this might be the end of this conversation um, because I feel like it's achieving to some extent what you and I are setting out to do in our different respective ways with our different respective shows. Sure, but. Um, I think that you have a set of, I mean, I will say that to me, a lot of that is a lot of work, right? A lot of, there's a lot of, you may not perceive it this way, but to me, I don't respond to, uh, the, these biblical justifications because, like I said, my mind is just more kind of connected to this historical side of things and not giving mm-hmm. prominence to one, to one book or to one group of people who revealed this mystery. But I, but I think what you're in the end, uh, I'm going to attempt to simplify. It might be insulting. You'll have to tell me if it is, but nah, I don't worry about it. But I, but what you're talking about is find you have, you have found how to live a Christian life that is other focused, that is about making this world a better place, about reaching out to your fellow humans across the world to help, help in, in the here and now. And that in the end, though, we all will die and we will go somewhere you believe to be in God's arms and and in essence, however, whatever your, whatever your kind of belief structure, there has to be a sense of peace that you have made your personal, your personal peace with your life and with death. And mm-hmm. I, I believe that atheists feel the same way or need to live by the same. If you're not living by that as an atheist or mm-hmm. a secular humanist, Mm-hmm. then you are also going to be failing at, at, at death, you know, at come the time of death, you will not die peacefully. You will not mm-hmm. die with peace. Gotcha. I, I don't need to feel that I need to be in God's graces in the way that you speak about it. Gotcha. But I, you know, there is a sense that, that to me, what I find exciting is when I see humans struggling to do both things. Sure. That to me feels like the common through line uh, okay. that we are both trying to live uh, in a in a peaceful sense of ourselves and also with the hope that we can make the world a better place. That's that's and, that. And I think that yeah, that totally. Uh, I, I I hear what you're saying there, and I, I'm looking at the clock now, and I'm I'm realizing that we're, we're oh we're, sure, we're, like we're, as we're, if we're, this was going to be a small conversation. Right, 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 but, yeah, but right. Can I just tell you first of all, this has been. Such a great conversation. Would you would you do us the favor of coming back sometime and maybe we'll narrow it down and we'll pick out because I think this is such a productive conversation to have. Sure. I, I, yeah, I'll come back sometime. And, and I think I mean 
I and I'll probably have you guys on my show. At some Dude, point. Oh, absolutely. That. That would be I, I appreciate everything, everything you said there, Nicholas, because I think, again, when we started this podcast, the, we got some pushback on this from some, some Christian <laughs> listeners, but our goal is not conversion, right? We don't see this right. as evangelism hour. Uh, I just think it's so valuable to talk to people who come from different vantage points, and there's a sharpening and a clarifying. And if nothing else, um, I think it's good to talk to people of a particular worldview and hear from them in their own right, not hear what other Christians have to say about them or what other atheists have to say about Christians. There's just something wonderful, and and unfortunately, there's something increasingly rare about this kind of conversation. So I'm just thankful for, for your yeah. honesty and your willingness to talk about us. I've enjoyed this exchange of ideas. Uh, I hope you didn't feel like we were coming for you on anything. Uh, all my questions no, were genuinely no, no, sincere no. just to kind of hear where you're And it forces us from. to think, which is great, because I think a lot of times, too, as Christians, we will get lulled. In. I know for me this is true. I get lulled into this sense of like... Uh, I, I don't. I don't challenge my beliefs. I don't think through them. And for this, it's like you said, the sharpening. It helps me because it it, it makes things more clear for me. And it's 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 a really good exercise to have. And I think to your point, a lot of times, I think there's a thought a lot of times about uh, Christianity not being an academic pursuit or philosophy or whatever. I mean, I that's one of the things I appreciate about this kind of thing is it's it's well thought out. And we really appreciate you giving the time and being willing to do this because yeah, you gave us an hour. Thanks so much. Yeah, we, and, we I, and, that. and yeah, yeah. This is not a popular thing to discuss in LA either so <laughs> right well thank you both I, I do I want to just at least acknowledge that I feel the same sentiments I really appreciate it I, I found you both to be just really lovely to listen to and I really appreciate um, your sincerity of where you're coming from and and your openness and I, I felt very welcomed and I I appreciate it great well let's uh, let's plan to do this again yeah, and, uh, yeah thank you so much for joining us man all right take care guys I right, talk to you later that was Nicholas D'Augusto, and what an amazing, what an amazing opportunity to get to talk through this stuff. Because honestly, my my head was—I think that's about the deepest we've gone with anybody yeah. in anything. And, and what I love again—I mean, this goes back to what we were talking about last week. The goal is that we would hear from people of a different worldview, yeah. and without feeling like we need to talk over them. Or, I mean, he said a ton of stuff. There was a couple yeah. things like we need—we could talk about that oh, for, for hours. For hours, yeah. You know, exactly. I mean, the, talking about exclusivity, talking about the historical claims of the gospel. Right. right there's right, there's right. definitely. Things that there's substance to talk about there. We were talking right. about this the other day with Craig. Yeah. Um, but it's just wonderful to hear from someone uh, who's familiar with Christianity, who's obviously very intelligent. Yes. Who is reasoned in his approach to yes. his worldview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And to go back and forth, and and not in any way that it yeah. causes us to compromise or doubt no. the veracity of our faith. Right. In fact, I mean, it this conversation has strengthened right. my idea because I was just like, yeah, all the knowledge in the world just for me is not going is not going to fix. Everything. I mean, that's just one of the things. But but again, I appreciate the fact he's willing to come on, and it's a good civil conversation. And I think we could break a lot of these things down, distill them, and have another conversation about like maybe a smaller part of it. Yeah, you know, I mean, there's absolutely. still so many things you'd like to hear about. If you if you like today, if you didn't like today, let us know. Blessingfieldhosts at gmail.com. Blessingfieldhosts at gmail.com. Reach out to us. Let us know what you'd like to hear on the show. <laughs> or tell us a joke. Was that the wrong... Was yeah, it I possible the, you pushed the wrong button? It's totally possible that I hit possible? the wrong button because I was going to try to hit the post like a regular radio guy, and of course I didn't do it. We were Instead, so I close meant, to being professional here, Dan. We're exactly. So, oh. I meant to, I meant to have Barb cue us up. Barb, oh, thank you so thanks, much. Thanks, Barb. As always, you save us, Barb. God bless you. Uh, but, you know, again, it's been a pleasure joining you, Jared. And you, Dan. And we'll see you next time on Christianese. Barb, play us out. Hey, blessings. Thank mm-hmm. you.